morning first. I am so thankful to see as many of you here as are here. How many of you were surprised by the snow this morning? I was, thank you so much. I thought I was the only one who didn't check that app on his phone. Um, But I am so, so glad that you are here. And what's great is that we have our online services, so a lot of people are able to join us, even if they're not able to come uh, in person this morning. Now, I'm wondering, uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday, we got to watch a lot of football games. I didn't get a chance to watch them all. But I'm wondering if this has ever happened to you where one of your, you're watching a football game and your favorite team is playing, and let's imagine that they're up by about four touchdowns. There's about five minutes left in the game. Now, you probably, like me, are thinking, there's no way that they can mess this up, right? And it's a lot of fun when you watch that because sometimes they'll throw in the equipment manager or they'll throw in some of those like third, fourth, fifth stringers to go in and to wrap up the game because it has been set up so well and they know that there's absolutely no way to mess this up. If those of you are wondering why on earth I am here for the last week of this series, it's very similar to that. (laughs) This series has been set up so well by the preachers who have come before me that they're like, there's zero chance that he is going to mess this up. Let's let the family pastor come up and give him a chance to preach. I'm kidding. That is not the only reason why I'm up here. We have been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians for a while now, and a stellar game has been played by Eric, by Samuel, by Josh, by everyone who's come up here to preach this word to you, and by God's grace, I have been given the opportunity to wrap things up as one who has sat there and watched as things have progressed and has been able to hear them, um, whether I'm in the back watching it on the projector back there or whether I am watching it or listening to it on the podcast. It has been so much fun to be in this series. Now, I don't know if you knew this, we've been in this book since May. How many of you have been here for the entire series? Wow, the faithful. I love this. That's amazing to see how many have been here. And uh, as you know, this is a wonderful book. My hope is that you will continue to read it. The thing that happens sometimes in these series is that we get through a book and then we forget to go back and read those things. All of our series uh, are up on our website. It's up on the podcast. So feel free to go back and catch up. Now, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Albee, and I am the family pastor here at First. That means that I have the honor and privilege of hanging out with our nursery through high school age kids and ensuring that they get a biblical foundation that will last them, hopefully, for the rest of their lives. I have an opportunity to come alongside parents and families as we all shepherd our kids together, and it is an honor and privilege to be able to do that. Now, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning while you turn there. Another reminder that any of the past sermons of this series are on our website. You can listen to them on our podcast. But also, I want to bring us up to speed. As you know, we've gone through 15 chapters already in this book. And I'm going to do my best to quickly summarize the book of 1 Corinthians to bring us up to speed. The first thing that happens uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians is that Paul addresses very specific issues. And then he shows how the gospel, which Pastor Eric so eloquently preached last week, applies to so many of these divisions that the church is experiencing. In the first section, he's noticed that there is division among the church. Some people follow Paul, some people follow Apollos, some people follow Peter, some follow other teachers, and what Paul shows is that through the gospel, we should have unity. No matter who we follow, no matter which teacher leads us, ultimately they should be pointing us to our true north, which is Jesus. 
So it doesn't matter which teacher or preacher we follow. What matters is who they are pointing us toward. Next, Paul talks about some very interesting relationships that are going on in the church. And he says that no matter what these relationships are, whether they're healthy marriages or some kind of interesting connections and and relationships there, the gospel reminds us that the motivation for integrity in our relationships is Christ. Jesus relates to us. He is in relationship with us. He wants to be with us as his church. And in the same way, we too should desire that unity in our relationships. We should pursue one another in our friendships and in our marriage relationships. The last two sections of 1 Corinthians focus on issues on how we live and worship as Christians, whether and how we interact with non-Christians at their celebrations or how we interact with one another at ours. What the gospel reminds us is to love others more than ourselves by honoring them in their celebrations in ways that don't cause us or them to sin, but also to honor one another in our worship gatherings in ways that honor God the most and that honor and bring the gospel to our fellow believers. Paul is writing to the Corinthians to show them how to live as the collective body of Christ. Ultimately, none of this matters if we are not in this together. We support one another through the ministry of the church and through our individual gifts as they come together to impact the world. Paul finishes his letter, which is where we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, with some parting words and final instructions all geared around this idea of support. And what you'll notice is that in the three sections, these three ways that which we support one another are also three of the core values that we have here at first. So first, join with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Paul gives a super practical bit of wisdom here, and it's a way for us to support one another through a loving, or through uh, life-giving generosity. Thanks. Um, Instead of scrambling when a need arises, he is offering them an opportunity to be ready for when needs come. You see, sometimes in our lives and in the lives of the Corinthian Christians, when a need would come up, they would scramble around their house and see what they could sell or what they could give or what they could offer. And sometimes uh, they didn't have access to what we do now where they could just go ATM or they could write a check. They had to figure out what physical object they would trade or what gold or coins they had available in order to give. What Paul says is that before all that, every time you get something, set it aside. Set a little bit of it aside so that you have something to pull from should a need arise. That way, we don't have to come and offer some sort of collection or uh, have you scramble and try to figure out what you can give and what you can't. You see, the Christians in Jerusalem at this time were struggling because many of the supports that they came to rely on when they became Christians were taken away. A lot of the supports that they came to rely on were geared around the synagogue, were geared around their Jewish faith. And when they said, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, they were separated, they were cut off from a lot of their 
support. So Paul says what we should do as Christians is take care of one another. Make sure that the supports are put back in place for those who have left their previous life and have embraced this new faith. And Paul tells the Corinthian Christians that one of the best ways that we can show the seriousness of our faith is in how we take care of one another. Yes, we should take care of everyone, but our brothers and sisters in Christ should be a priority. Now, you know, leading after Thanksgiving, many of us go into Christmas. I don't know uh, about you, but some of us actually start gearing up for Christmas even before Thanksgiving, and some of us start listening to Christmas music way before Thanksgiving, at least those in stores. And, and I know, I'm already seeing some of you are looking at one another and being like, yeah, that's you, that's you. I put up my Christmas tree before Thanksgiving. I am one of those, it's okay. And we do this because I love the Christmas season. What it reminds me is just what is central to our faith. It reminds me about the generosity that God has shown us in the giving of his son so that we can be reconciled with him and have everything. But what's interesting about Christmas as a whole in our culture, it doesn't seem to be as much about generosity as about throwing our money around and maybe outdoing one another in the gifts that we give. Maybe it has to do more with um, throwing our money around to the people that are in our family or maybe hoping that they will throw their money toward us, but sometimes it can fall into this trap of not being extended out to those who need it, to our Christian community. Now, first, like Paul, I want to brag on you a little bit. First, you are an amazingly generous church. People are know, know us for our generosity, and even recently, if you were here for this, we gave you a need. We brought up a need that came from some of our missionaries and a need that we had here at the church as well. And I think this was shared before, but if not, I want to uh, share this with you. You not only met that need, but you doubled it, which is absolutely amazing. And I don't know about you, but when stuff like that happens, I want to see more. I want to see what happens when we gather together and we give generously to those who need it because we're already starting to see the ramifications from our missionaries of the money we were able to give them for new vehicles and to spread the gospel even further. Generosity doesn't just benefit others. God designed it to benefit us. When we give, we share in the joy that God has for us. And if you're looking for something super practical, we know Giving Tuesday is a time when a lot of people give to different organizations and organizations uh, kind of work giving around that opportunity. Um, our church, we do an end of year uh, Christmas gift that we take that we give to those in this community. But even more practically, what Pastor Aaron just talked about was our foster care Christmas party. It is so easy to... to think that it's just, oh, this, it's this great party and everybody else is going to give. But seriously, a, one gift card has an impact that you just cannot measure unless you see the person you're giving it to. And unless you hear the stories that come from these parties of the, the joy and the things that they're able to get from those cards. So if you're looking for a practical way to do that, we have plenty here. Know that it's never too late to start exercising that generosity muscle. And remember that God is good. Whatever you give, God uses and some of us in this time and in this season have been blessed by the Lord. Let's just face it. God has been kind to many of us. And sometimes I wonder if God gives that kindness so that we can be a blessing to other people. Just an encouragement to you. Find ways that you can be generous and to continue living out that life-giving generosity. So the next way that Paul 
offers us to support one another is through a loving community. Paul now shifts to some of his travel itinerary and he desires to stay with the Corinthians and he wants to stay for a while. This shows that even with the issues going on, Paul still loves his brothers and sisters there. I don't know about you, but when we've been reading through 1 Corinthians, some of his words seem a little harsh, and I'm thankful for this opportunity for him to remind them that, hey, the reason I tell you these things is not because I'm mad at you or because like, I'm, I'm angry with you as, as Christians or I'm astonished or all these different things. He cares for them, which is why he offers these. He's like, you can be so much better than you are, so here's how we do this. And he loves them very much. He wants to stay with them not just for a passing visit, but for a long time. But that also is what can make some of these following remarks that we're going to read here in 16, 10 through 14 seem a little strange if you don't understand Paul's love for his people. He says this, When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with you to the brother or to you with the brothers. But he was quite unwilling to do so. But he will go when he has opportunity. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Now, do you see that shift that I'm talking about here? Paul says, I want to be with you because I love you and I want to spend a long time with you. But about my friends, make sure that Timothy has nothing to fear and make sure uh, no one treats him with contempt, a pretty strong word. And my brother Apollos says that he was very unwilling to come to you. Now, why is this? For those of you who might be familiar with Timothy or for those who are not, Timothy is one of Paul's protégés. He is a young, fired-up pastor who has been gifted and given so many opportunities to teach and preach. Paul loves him like a son, so of course he wants him to be looked after. As much as he loves the Corinthians, he knows that they they tend to play favorites. The text doesn't say this, but maybe Timothy is feeling a little intimidated to go to Corinth. The idea that Paul says for him not to fear, maybe maybe Timothy is a little nervous because he's been given an opportunity to come to a group of people that he loves and an opportunity to preach and teach in the shadow of so many great preachers like Paul and Apollos and Peter. Who knows, maybe Paul asked Timothy to come in and wrap up a series that they had been in since May, and he was a little nervous because he hadn't been there before. I don't know. The text is vague. Maybe I'm reading a little too much into it, but he does say, make sure he has nothing to fear. But what he also says is that Apollos has this unwillingness to go, and maybe it's because Apollos remembers what, what Paul was talking about before, that some people were saying, oh, Apollos is my teacher, he's my, my guy, don't worry about what Paul says, don't worry about what Peter says, or maybe he's, he's nervous that the, the factions that have kind of been created around here are going to give him issues, we don't know. But what we do know is that the cure for both is loving community. The cure for both is a community of love that comes around no matter who it is and continues to point them to Christ and listens to them as they point them to Christ. Paul knows who the Corinthians can be, and he wants to encourage them to be even better to one another. 
And I know it's the same for us here. One of the things I hear most from new families when I get to hang out in our Family Life Center as they come in to check their kids in for the first time is how welcome they feel here and how much they enjoy this community because that's what it feels like. When people come in and they're new, they're going to be approached by people and saying how wonderful it is to have them here and how grateful they are that they are here. I want to keep it up and I want us to continue to live out what it looks like to be that loving community. And some of the practical ways to do this we'll get to in a minute, but one of the easiest ones is just be your friendly selves. I know I haven't been at this church for a super long time. I was an attender and a congregant here for a couple of years before I was asked to come on staff. And I remember that the thing that kept me here was that family, was that community, that connection that I felt being here. As awesome as our playground is back there for my kids, the thing that I love the most about here is the people. And the thing that I continue to love the most about here is the people. So now Paul continues on in this chapter with another offer of support. In this one, he offers them the ability to grow through growing their faith. As Paul finishes this letter with some sincere parting words, I want to be reminded that some of this might be lost on us due to time. It's interesting in Scripture that we have 1 Corinthians here, and then just another page after, we have 2 Corinthians. It feels like the two letters literally come right after another. But there was a period of time in between those two letters of many years. And Paul never liked to waste words. I don't know if it was because papyrus was expensive at the time or because he was very poignant with the things that he does, but even in his greetings at the end of his letter, he includes some very incredible things. And the reason he does this is because Paul had no reason to suspect that he would even be able to reach Corinth. He had no reason to expect that he was actually going to see them again. He had no reason to believe that he'd even be able to write another letter. Just remember in this time, Paul's life was constantly in danger. He was always at risk of being imprisoned. He was always at risk of being killed for his faith. And many times he gets imprisoned and the Lord releases him, but in his humility, he never expects it. So he wants to make sure that he takes every opportunity at the final little piece of this paper to write out the things that he wants them to know. And I like this because not to be too morbid, but none of us know when our last day is going to be. And what Paul does is something that all of us in ministry and even those of us as Christians should be aware of. We should make sure that nobody's faith is based on us. Because if a faith is based on one particular pastor or one particular preacher, then what happens when that person retires or, God forbid, something happens to that person, then we've seen this where churches collapse, people's faith is built on the wrong thing, and, and they were tied to the person rather than the person that they should have been pointed to. And what Paul reminds us is that there are numerous examples in the faith to follow. And I think this is interesting because this is the only place that we actually hear these names. But Paul gives examples in Stephanus, in Fortuitus, and in Achaicus, so hoping I would pronounce this right. And he reminds us of the core truths of our faith. But what he says is that these are people that you should follow. These are people who are not only strong in the faith, but are people who should be leading you because they are pointing you toward Jesus. They are pointing you toward someone who is beyond themselves 
and who is the only eternal one for us to follow. Every preacher and pastor should only be pointing you toward the eternal things, the things that are found in the words of the Lord and the things that are found in Christ. While everything else is beneficial as ways to exercise our gifts and learn and grow deeper, the only eternal part of everything we do here, whether it's on Sundays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, all the days that we have things here at the church, the only eternal part of all of them is Christ and the things done for Christ. So our faith must be rooted in the one that we claim to follow, not in those who are leading us toward him, right? So what do we do then with all of this? 1 Corinthians ultimately serves as a call to view all things through the lens of the gospel. This is what we mean by true north. And as, a body of Christ, as the body of Christ, we hope to embody this true north by saying who is it that we're following? Is it Jesus? Is he the point on our compass that we are walking toward? Or is it everything else? Or anything else? Because some might get us close and some might take us very far away. And ultimately, when we have that compass, we should all be walking the same direction, right? If our compasses are all aimed toward the right thing, each of us should be walking together, which is why I remind us that we are all in this together. As the body of Christ, as the church, we are together in this, walking toward the one who is leading us. As much as I or anybody else who stands here or leads a Bible study is supposed to do is to point you to that true north, point you to Christ. So as we lead into this, I have three questions that I would like for you to consider. These are things that have helped me as I determine where I am going and, and evaluate the things that are in my life and seeing if Jesus truly is my true north. So I'd like to offer these to you as well. First one is this, where is your money going? Do you know that Jesus talks about money in Scripture more often than anything else? More than love, more than hell, more than uh, church doctrine. He talks about our money and the ways that we spend it. He says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as convicted in this as I am as well, know that I am preaching to myself as much as I preach to each and every one of us. It's really interesting sometimes to take a look at your statements and see where your money actually goes. And now I'm not saying that we should live ascetic lives and we should give every ounce of money that we have to other people. God gives us things to enjoy and, and things to be a blessing with. I'm not saying that God is going to be upset with you if you have a nice house or a nice car, but what he is saying is be open to how you use these things. Is your home a place that you invite others into? Is it a place where people feel welcome? And is it a place where you can enjoy what the Lord has given by giving it to others, by having them come and exercise those gifts of hospitality? Is your car something that you use to give somebody a ride when they need it? It's not in what we have, it's in how we choose to use it. But also, sometimes it is in what we have. Do we need that new phone? Do we need that new computer? Can we continue to make it work and use that money towards something that is even better, is more 
eternal in its impact. And as somebody with a 10-year-old laptop and an iPhone 10, yes, I can say these things. I want new things, but I've recognized that there's so much more that can be done when I give those things to other people. When I take the, I don't even know how much a new iPhone costs anymore, over $1,000, and, and give it to somebody or an organization so that they can use it more effectively than I can, it's a lot, I can just guarantee, I don't know about you guys with your phones, but I can guarantee a lot more good will come from that than it comes from me having a new fancy thing in my pocket. In this season, a lot of money gets thrown around, and some of us may not even be aware of it. Now, I think this is interesting. I was researching this earlier this week. They say, and, and I don't know how this works for everybody, it's an average, so you know averages can be skewed. You have like a ton over here and a ton over here. They say the average person spends over $900 on Christmas alone. And whether that's Black Friday deals, whether that's gifts, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different numbers that are in there, but it's just interesting to me to see $900. Now, I wanted to do a little bit of quick math, which I know is scaring a couple of you who know me. Math is not one of my strong points, but I will try to do this quickly. If we decided to take that number and say, you know what, maybe that average is a little high, so let's bring it down to just... Uh, each family, each family unit. If each family unit spends $900 on Christmas, and if each family unit represented in this church were to take 10% of that and set it aside for the work of ministry, we would have close to $50,000. And I don't say that to guilt you. I don't say that. I, I, hear me. Hear my heart. I don't say that in any other reason but to say what could be done with that in our community? What great things could be done outside these walls? What could be done for those inside these walls who are struggling, who are hurting? 50,000 is a lot. And that's if we take just 10% of what we have been told of in Scripture, or in, in these stats, and if we do what Paul says and just set it aside so that if a need were to come up, you have it. The crazy generousness that could happen would be mind-blowing. I think it would be amazing to see. So next, another question that Paul gives us, he asks, where our money is going? Next, he asks, who are we following? Those among us who embody true north deserve honor and praise no matter how young or how old. I can't tell you the times that I am encouraged by some of our kids back there and the ch literally childlike faith they have in our God and the ways that they rely on him above all else. They don't have to worry about where things are coming from because they know, my parents got it, my God's got it. They worship with abandon, the dancing that happens back there in our large group time when the kids are just free. It's so good. But I want us to know, who are we following and who are they pointing us toward? Are we following people who are pointing us toward ways to waste our time, waste our money, waste our resources? Or are they pointing us to things that improve our minds, improve our resources, lead us toward the eternal things of God? Some secondary questions that have helped me a ton in this area, I am a, a die-hard sports fan. I love most sports. I even love some sports that some of you probably have never even watched before. But the thing is, is that what I've noticed is that 
certain times, my week will be determined, the mood that I have for the entire week will be determined about, by whether or not a team of people I have never met before in my life, but who simply play for the state that I grew up in, how well they pass a thing from one thing to another thing. I will be unnecessarily at times grumpy based on a group of grown men who I have never met before in my life, how well they throw a ball to one another. Or how poorly they throw the ball to one another. I'm a Bronco fan. It goes back and forth. And what I noticed is that there'd be times where my, my family would notice my mood, my work would suffer because I was just upset. And I'm like, why on earth? Now, it's okay to be passionate about things and it's okay to have a stake in these things, but watch the things that affect your mood. Is there certain music that you listen to that just puts you on edge? Is there certain movies that you watch? Are there certain things that we follow? Are there certain influencers that have way too much influence on us? And I'm not saying get rid of all these things. I'm not saying that any of them are inherently evil or sinful or bad. But what I am saying is that everything that we follow has an effect. And there are going to be times in which we might need to get rid of some of those things in order to follow who we should follow. How closely are your emotions tied to the stock market, to the state of your home, to your job, to how other people view you, your bank account, your status, your titles, whatever? My hope is that each and every one of us will reevaluate these things and view, the, view them through the lens of the gospel, which tells us that ultimately what matters most about us is how God sees us. And as Christians, covered by the blood of Christ, God sees us the same way he sees Jesus. He loves you. He is crazy about you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you would be reconciled to him. And I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, the person's opinion I want most is that. And if I need to be reminded every morning about my status in this world, all I need is that. God wants us to focus on him not because he's selfish, but because he's what's best for us. And he's the only thing that lasts forever. Now finally, Paul gives us one more question to determine how we're doing with our true north. And this is, to where are you leading? It may not seem like it, but each and every one of us has people who follow us. Now, there might be some of you who, like me, have tens of followers on the social media. I almost got to 11 once. It was pretty sweet. I almost celebrated. Some of you have hundreds. Some of you have thousands. But even if you don't have that, you have family members. We have people who see how we interact with one another in our day-to-day -day lives. We have people who follow us because of the things we tell them, the movies we suggest, the music that we love, the sports teams that we support, whatever it is. And if you want a really clear example, I have two very little ones at home. And my kids hear everything. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and the things that come out of their mouths sometimes, I'm like, yeah, that was from me. I can't ask them where they learned that you know, that term or, or that frustration that comes from things. And it's like, no, yeah, that was, that was me. They follow me. 
And what's interesting is that we all have more influence than we might realize. So I just offer you the same thing that has been offered to me, which is to just be mindful of where we're leading. If somebody looked at you and described you, would they say that they are a person who follows Christ? They are a person who leads their life toward Christ. Or would they say lots of other good things about us? Would they say, boy, that person is super fired up about rugby. That person is super fired up about hot sauce. That person is super fired up about whatever it is. But would they say that that person is fired up about Jesus and about the things that matter? So keep this in mind as we focus on what we post on our social media accounts, what we talk about most, and what people know us for. Now, this might feel really heavy. And like Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, I hope that you hear all of this in love. I love you guys very, very much. You are my family. And in given an opportunity to bring these things up, as Paul does, I have an opportunity to share these things with you, but I understand that it's kind of odd because this is the first time you've gotten to really hear me from the stage, which is why I want to be extra clear that ultimately Christ is our true north. And in this together, we should always be pushing one another toward Christ, push one another toward who that is. And my hope is that you find your true north. Cast aside the things that don't matter and run after the things that do because ultimately that's what all we can do together. We are in this together. God has chosen us to do his work and for his people to be collected together as the church. So in the parting words of Paul, may we too be on our guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Amen? I would like to transition now into a time of communion. For those of you who have uh, not uh, picked up your elements of communion, we have them at the doors. You have them available to you. Please, I invite you to uh, get up and get them now if you haven't. But what this cup and this bread symbolizes to us is that in Christ there is one communion. Jesus gave us one symbol. And he tells us that in this symbol, not only are we reminded of the body and blood of Christ that was shed for us, poured out for the forgiveness of our sins to unify us back to God, but what he also says is that in this blood is a covenant, an opportunity for God to partner with us to take on all of the responsibilities and give us all of the benefits because of how much he loves us. So he says that as we eat, we do this in remembrance of his body that was broken for us. And as we drink, we do this in reminder of the new covenant, paid for in full, as Pastor Eric so eloquently said last week. Paid for for you. And that unifies you with everybody else who also takes this cup and takes this bread. So that not just us as first, but us as Christians can be unified in our pursuit of Jesus. So please take some time this morning, think about these things, and then as you're ready, partake in communion.